HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hi, I'm David Tatashore, HRN's lead engineer and studio manager. Before we get to this week's episode of Beer Sessions Radio, we wanted to update you on your host, Jimmy Carboni. Jimmy is currently recovering from two spinal surgeries due to a staph infection. He's in good spirits and being given great care at NYU Langone, but he has a long road to recovery ahead of him. If you'd like to show Jimmy some love and support, please consider contributing to his wellness fund at gofundme.com slash jimmywellnessfund. Jimmy is nothing if not a dedicated host, and he wanted to make sure we had a show for you this week. So we're bringing you an episode of Beer Sessions Radio that was recorded at Charleston Wine and Food in March of 2017. We hope you enjoy. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio. Hey, guys out there, we're live at the Charleston Wine and Food Festival. You know, some of you that are gathering around, going to get a chance to taste some Westbrook beers here with Morgan Westbrook from Mount Pleasant, Cal- uh, Southern Carolina. <laughs> it's our third show. We're going live for three hours here at the Charleston Wine and Food Festival, live on the HeritageRadioNetwork.org. And if you're out there, you're not sure what to do, over at the, the Springer and Big Green Egg Station, they're raffling off a mini grill, a mini green egg, and you should get over there by 2.30, so if you haven't done it yet. But we're actually being live on the air, so a lot of our listeners are out there. Hello to Sweden and Michigan and uh, New York and uh, England. We're doing a live show right now, and this show will be available in the future on Heritage Radio Network. So first special guest, you know, Adam, introduce yourself. We're, we're, one part of this Charleston Wine and Food Festival is talking about culinary history and culinary traditions. So just give us a quick introduction. Yeah, my name is Adam Sappington. I'm from Portland, Oregon. Uh, it's my first time at Charleston Wine and Food Fest. It's amazing. Um, out here with the National Pork Board and uh, my buddies Justin Brunson and Jason Alley and Stephen Garrick. We're all doing events uh, all throughout the week. And uh, I'm with Mike Scalfo. We're at Sinister's Diesta here in just a little bit. And uh, we're knocking it out of the park one pork at a time. It's great having you here, guys. And everybody, welcome Adam and, and Morgan here. We have Morgan. Absolutely. Yeah. Woo! Um, what, what, what I wanted to talk about with you is, is culinary history. Yeah, for sure. And I know you started working originally at Wildwood, yeah. which to me was, was a, a famous restaurant in Portland, Oregon, opened in 1994 by Chef Corey Schreiber. Yes, so sir. tell us what it was like in those early days of, of yeah. farm to table <laughs> in Portland. You know, Corey Schreiber basically took a San Francisco restaurant and put it in Portland, Oregon, and that was the consciousness 
that changed the way the culinary scene really began to take place. Um, we would go to the markets every morning and shop for the the fruits and vegetables, bring them back and cook. I mean, it was a true Alice Waters lifestyle type restaurant. Um, that for me was exactly what I was looking for. Coming from Missouri, I had just moved out to Portland, Oregon, and um, the experience that Corey gave me lasted 11 years, and I never looked back, and I learned everything that I've got to go on for me today. No, when you, uh, oh, sorry, guys. <laughs> Hello, oh, what do they call that? What, what's the, uh, something, some kind of user error, yeah. my fault. So when, when, I, when I first started the business in the 90s, it was one of my first cooks, uh, Jesse McDonald, yeah. had opened uh, Wild With You Guys. And I, right. I had the cookbook, and to me it was an, an, an important player. But, but, but fast forward, things go so fast. Yeah. Ten years ago, Corey wasn't part of it, and, and it's since closed. You know, but yeah. let's talk about those old days, the 90s and, and culinary and, and brewing history in America. You know, it was interesting because the, the only beer, the only real microbreweries that were happening in, in Oregon at that point were Full Sail and Deschutes Brewery. And those were kind of the forefront of the beer movement, in my opinion, uh, in the Pacific Northwest. And that was back in 1994, 95. Um, that began to really take shape with the, the wine programs that were being put up in the Willamette Valley. And, um, you know, it all kind of came and commingled together with the food, you know, um, getting the freshest local salmon, getting in all the produce from 30 minutes. We all understood that the Willamette Valley was our backyard. And once we really kind of keyed into that, the farmers began to grow. The abundance of produce began to get even more interesting than it was. Then we started to really tap into the ranchers. So it became a full circle program of culinary destination for Portland, Oregon. What were some of the... The key dishes that you guys served back in the 90s at uh, Wildwood. You know, some of the key dishes, even that I still do today, was salt-baked salmon, a whole side of salmon that's been pin-boned out, laid on a bed of rock salt, covered with herbs on olive oil, and baked in the oven. That was one of the dishes that really changed me because I understood how to cook food so simply with the least amount of manipulation was really important. Um, you know, Corey always did the oyster salad with the fresh greens from Mizuna Family Farms, and then uh, with fried oysters right out of the Wallapa Bay. Some pancetta that we would make in-house and on a crepe. You know, those dishes really sung to what it was. And actually, you know, it's funny. I, I brought back the mussel recipe, which was probably Corey's most famous dish, with the saffron vinaigrette, sun-dried tomatoes, shallots, and garlic. Cooked the mussels in the vinaigrette with a big slice of uh, toasty bread. Can't go wrong at all. Those are the ones. No, that, you know, th those are the days. Yeah, man. <laughs> and we, we're, trying to, we're talking about in this area, there was Bill Neal. Yeah. He hit his restaurant in, in the 1980s. And John Taylor... You know, um, were there other inspirations that you've had? Because I feel like the younger chefs don't yeah. really know about some of the, the pioneers that we knew. You know, the pioneers for me were Jeremiah Tower. Um, Alice Waters was huge. The whole movement that Richard only started when he didn't even really realize what he was doing by writing all the Time Life books in France. Those becoming to be so much a part of people's repertoire when it came to food. Those are the chefs that really made a difference, you know. Um, even Charlie Trotter back in the day was very inspiring to me. You know, being able to see that that was a transformation happening in the Midwest, but was affecting a nationwide movement in regards to how food was being processed and also sourced. It was an incredible situation. You can tell the party's going on here. Ch yeah. Charleston Wine and Food. I don't think anyone's paying attention to us, but we know you guys are listening out there. And we've got Morgan Westbrook. We're talking about, you know, Oregon and food. You know, the big revolution has been in beer, too. Yeah. Um, you guys are here in South Carolina. You're the first brewery that I ever really tasted from South Carolina, and I've had many of your beers up in New York City. Oh, thank you. Yeah, we, um, 
We're distributing in New York, Denver, a, couple, a really fun handful of states. Yeah. And it's been fun to see the evolution of people really, really, I don't know, going for beers, whereas before it just seemed... I don't know what people were drinking. Where were they? <laughs> yeah. Well, now they we're were drinking, waiting uh, for you, dear. We're right? drinking your two-claw, which yeah. is a rye paleo. Yeah, it's fantastic. So, Corey, how, how does this go with the kind of food you, you make? Like, <laughs> you're at the Country Cat now yeah. in Portland, Country right? Country Cat, yeah. So when, when did you open that up? We opened that restaurant up in uh, 2007. Uh, we're going to be 10 years old in April. We opened a second location in the airport. That'll be two years old in April as well. Uh, you know, it's a, a, we really kind of transformed an, an old neighborhood of Portland into somewhat of a culinary destination and also somewhat of a tourist destination as well. So do you, do you feel like, you know, where you guys are in Portland, you have farms, you have seafood. Yeah. Do you, do you feel there's a connection between Portland, Oregon, and Charleston, South yeah, Carolina? I, you know, the interesting connection is the consciousness of people that are here. You know, it's, that's, that thread of consciousness that travels all the way across when it comes to good booze, good food. It, the same type of person is participating in the same kind of events, and I think it's a real connection worldwide. Yeah, and what were you doing down here? Were you cooking? Uh, yeah, cooking at certain events. Yeah, yesterday we did. Uh, we were in the tents yesterday and cooked on the cowboy cauldrons, which are fantastic. Shout out to those boys; they did an amazing work. I did a pork cheek grilled on uh, with a sambal uh, pork reduction glaze, and then I served it with um, a pigskin persiad, which is like kind of a play on a persiad that usually has um, bread. Sounds in it. good, doesn't it, Morgan? <laughs> <It's> so good. <laughs> Oh, my God. It was great. You know, it was a little bit of an Asian spin, which isn't really my jam, but it really worked out well, and we sold 600 portions in 90 minutes. So it was, uh, we were moving. You said it was a cowboy cauldron? The cowboy cauldron, man. Those things are impressive. It's a giant kettle that you build a fire in the base of it, you put a grate on top of it, and you just cook on it. It's a beautiful barbecue pit. But plus, check this out. I'm getting ready to get a meat down at Hot Luck down in in Texas, and I'm going to fry chicken in the damn thing. Fill it full of beef fat and fry my chicken in that thing. So it's a super versatile piece of equipment. That sounds good to me. Yeah. And what else have, have you seen? Is anything new these days that's innovative, or is it more that like everyone's going back to old old school? Yeah, I think old school has you know, played a big part of it. That's where my heart is. Um, I think molecular food has a huge place in the, in the world, in the culinary scene. It's just not exactly what I practice. But I think that you know the techniques of wood, the techniques of fire, the techniques of cooking over iron, those are never going to die. They feel really alive down here in, in Charleston, and they also are very alive in Portland. So, Morgan, you, know, you guys opened up in Mount Pleasant. Just, it's pretty much the same, right? Mount Pleasant, Charleston is one region. Tell us yeah. a little bit about, about how you guys got the brewery started. Um, my husband and I, we have known each other forever, and we were dating long distance in college. And uh, the same thing, I was a beer girl, yeah. in, like the old styles of right. beer. And yeah. my husband is such a cocktail guy, and uh, he always used to tease me and, and say, then, oh, guys, you can pass out some of those. Uh, the, West, to... Who wants to try the Westbrook One Claw Rye Pale Ale? We're going to pass them out for you over here at the table. Yeah, please enjoy. But yeah, we, um, he always used to tease me about drinking beer, and I said to him, well, I bet if you made a beer, you would like it. And he's very gifted in the kitchen, and I mean, made a beer, and it became our long-distance If you want to try thing. the, the one claw, it's a rye yeah, beer yeah. Westbrook. Far We're going to pass it out I, for you guys. Yeah, I guess alcohol kept us together. <laughs> <laughs> it, it does. You know, it's a social lubricant. What are the benefits of beer? Social lubricant. Yeah. It makes you it, feel good. Oh, it definitely it improves my it, dancing. You don't get too many bad drunks on beer. <laughs> no. That's right. That's I, right. Just full stomachs. <laughs> but, like, you know, for you guys, the Westbrook scene, you know, I know some things change. Laws change a lot. 
you know, South Carolina has very quickly evolved from having no breweries to having some really good ones. Oh, my goodness. Yes. I think we have 13 new breweries this year in wow. South Carolina, which is amazing. Oh, my gosh. That's I, huge. That's a big movement. Isn't it? And, yeah. it, I mean, breweries are so good for neighborhoods. Yeah. And just I, Craft beer it, has just completely exploded. Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. it really is. To have a rye beer. Was, that a, was that a pun? Exploded? Like, you know. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I wasn't even thinking. That first beer is really kicking in, man. It's doing good for me right now. <laughs> I don't even know how funny I am. It's, it's our third hour, and it's midday, and I'm trying to guide your listeners that yeah. what's going on here, it is a big festival. It's one of the yeah. better uh, food festivals I've ever been to. Hands down. It's outdoor village, and uh, yeah. it kind of feels like, you know, southern living down here. It definitely but you does. Talk, tell, me, talk to me, Morgan. Yeah. Tell, tell us, what, what, is it, what is this about? What's Charleston about? You know? Oh, I, to me, Charleston is about enjoyment. It's, it's a pleasure town. The, yeah. Visually, it's stunning. Um, the culinary scene is incredible. The beer yes. scene is incredible. If you want a great cocktail, like you have two hands, you can have Absolutely. one for each hand. Um, and that's—I mean, we even base our dancing. The what is it? The um, sweat or not swag? The shag. The shag. When you learn how to shag down here, they say that one hand is for drinking and then the other hand is for holding. So, like, even the dancing. You is guys actually teach the shag down here. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! <laughs> Sounds fantastic. Well, that, we're gonna get a, a, a boomerang Instagram of that cat, right? Right. Who's gonna do the shag for us in front while we do yeah, the right. show? Can't Try to liven it up, but you know, we're on air. So you and me later. We're doing right. it right here. But so, it's a pleasure town. It definitely is to me. But and I'm so happy to be a part of it and making yeah. beer. You know, it's fun being here. For me, everything gets filtered through New York. So yeah. I know Adam via Wildwood and. A friend that worked there. And for yeah. you guys, you guys have a distributor, 12% out of Brooklyn, that have uh, been, been bringing Westbrook up here a while. They are incredible. How did you ever meet them? Um, we met them through our friend Yeppa with Evil Twin, and he introduced us to our his friend Brian. And, I mean, it's it was just such a great relationship, and we're so, so, so lucky. So Yeppa is, you know, he's a traveling brewer who's putting down roots in Brooklyn. But for a long time, he was making beer with you guys, right? At I'm Westbrook. A, he's a gypsy brewer, yeah. So he was putting beer in our tanks, his own recipes, and we were just happy to do it for him. And really, really fun Danish guy. And That's I, awesome. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we love him yeah, so, so Adam, much. You guys, and I'm going to bounce around a little bit, try yeah. to keep this flowing. And guys, I know it's too loud, but we got music playing. Oh, that's great. We're down downtown Charleston. Yeah. For you guys, you know, in, in Portland, you know, back, even the back the days of Wildwood, yeah. you know, were you guys always working with beer or were you guys more of a, a wine restaurant then? Well, it was, it was centered on wine because I don't think the beer-food combination had really kicked in quite yet. But, you know, I hold a lot of private dinners in, in my private dining room space where we hold beer dinners, you know. Um, I work a lot with uh, Double Mountain Brewery and um, a lot of those guys out, out west do a phenomenal job, you know. So I really think that those types of dinners sell much better now on a consumer basis because people really enjoy the fact that, you know, coast to coast, it's really becoming a movement, I think, that people are enjoying craft beer and understanding the values that it can provide for food. Yeah. What about for you, um, Morgan, are you guys doing, working with other restaurants, doing food and beer pairings? We love it. Yeah, we do a lot. In the past, we've done a lot of beer dinners and really enjoyed those. And um, now it's really fun sometimes pairing up and making beer cocktails or just... I mean, when you hear, too, it's very flattering when you hear chefs are like, oh, yeah, we put your beer in a brine or, like, yeah. you know, did, I, I'm not sure I know all the word or the correct term. You're on but. the right path, babe, <laughs> for sure. 
I don't want to take you. I mean, you start, you're at 1995, you're at Wildwood in yeah. Portland. No, you, you've paid your dues. Yeah. What are some of the milestones in your career? You know, whether it was learning a new recipe or getting a promotion. Let's 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 follow your whole career. Yeah, my, my career. You know, I I started in Columbia, Missouri. I moved out to uh, Portland. Went to culinary school '94 to '95, and then uh, I started in, working there. And then I became very. I just completely came infatuated with the whole culinary scene. I never looked back. I met my wife, which is a huge milestone at Wildwood. And uh, love at first sight, Jackie. Here's so to Jackie. you, Jackie. Yeah, here's to Jackie, baby. So you guys, you yeah. own the restaurant together. So we own the Country Cat. We started that in 2007. Um, along the way, I helped Corey with his book tremendously. We did the cookbook tour, and we're all over the East Coast and the Midwest. That was a big movement for me. Um, start, I, I have that cookbook. I love yeah, it. Yeah, it's fantastic. Cooking yeah. from the source. It's great. Um, we uh, 07 started the restaurant. You know, really kind of transformed the whole area. We put out our first cookbook last year and was nominated for a James Beard Award for a Best American Cookbook. Um, you know, I've been on nine television shows. Um, you know, we had opening the restaurant in the uh, airport at, at, at PDX in Portland it was a huge milestone for me because we do all whole animal butchery. It's uh, the only whole animal program, I think, in the United States in any, any uh, airport. Um, we serve about 14,000, 15,000 people a week. And uh, we've taken the whole movement of what Oregon and Portland really represents and moved it into an airport where we have a lot of exposure. So that's unusual. I mean, usually it's, yeah. it's like some chain restaurants with yeah. packaged foods. How right. do you get, like, real fresh food and deal with getting in and out of the airport? You know, it's just learning the programs and adapting to the situations that the airports need. You know, once you get figure out how security works, you just you put a, so it's oh, pretty half much of a cow It's a delivery, and it's the same, like, <laughs> no joke. delivering in a yeah. big city, right, or something. It's the same thing. You know, and I think gotta be there a certain time. Like, what time yeah. do deliveries have to come in? They can deliver between two a.m. and noon, every you know, five days a week. So you got to plan. You got to think it's about like it. Old New York City fishmongers. That's right. Exactly. They work, they work when, when we're sleeping. That's exactly right. Still alive and well. Now that was why New York City had had this great twenty four seven. They would say the city that never sleeps. Well, because all these guys were working at night, fishmongers and and, and other people. Right. And by the time they were going to bed, we were just waking up. So there were bars in New York City. Serving at eight o'clock in the morning, right? Because guys were getting off their shift. It wasn't like they were drinking all night, right? <laughs> but that's your guys, right? Uh, yeah. they, they drive to the airport, <laughs> yeah. They drink all day. Right? Right. No. I think that's something. Maybe a couple of them. Talk about drinking culture. Since it's a, it's a wine festival, I'll tell you some anecdotes about New York City if you want to know this. Yeah. Until 1979 in New York City, you could actually sit and drink a, a, a beer on a bench. And uh, the reason the law changed is it was a reaction against hippies. And it was Mayor Koch, who was, who was a friend to many of us, who passed the law because people said, oh, this law is not meant to affect the Con Edison, which is our electric or, or factory worker, from enjoying, keeping them from enjoying a beer with their lunch. It was really for the riffraff. They meant hippies. So the funny wow. thing was, is until 1979, the average worker could go and have a beer with their lunch. Now there's different liability issues, yeah. but it does seem natural to have a beer with your lunch, doesn't it? Absolutely. Who Hello. says you should have a beer? Well, it seems yeah. like the crackdown went too far, kids. Yeah. But um, <laughs> I would say going back to 1979, I have a beer with my lunch. So absolutely. But so other laws have changed, but uh, they do. But so you're working in the airport. You got to get your, you know, early delivery. Got to get in there. So early. what do you have? You have a manager working throughout the night. Yeah, we got about a, we were open from uh, 4 a.m. until midnight. We closed for four hours. Clean the whole restaurant, open back up again. But then, is, is there a person that's working accepting these deliveries and things? Deliveries start at four, that's when my crew's there. You know, it reminds me of, I, I had a friend years ago who worked at Martha's Vineyard, and it was like a good job for a kid in college. He worked the night shift at a hotel. Has anyone ever worked at a hotel in college or 
worked at an ice cream stand. You guys were all busy, but some, some of my friends did. And, and it was the weirdest job. He worked the night shift, and he shared a room and a bed with the guy that, that did the day shift. They kind of oh had these alternate. That's but awesome. these are kind of careers Great that idea. people in food service and hospitality yeah. had. Yeah. Um, so I'm just wondering about deliveries because a lot yeah. of the guys even still in New York City, the vegetable guys, they really want to deliver really early. Yes. And unless you have a real you know, streamlined operation, my place, no one's in there until 2 or 3 in the afternoon. Yeah. Great issues. So you obviously must have a very well-run organization. <laughs> we get everything as early as we can. You know, my Stark Street locations, we get all deliveries between 6 and 8, and then we don't accept them anymore because it's just too busy. Well, you know, I love the nuts and bolts of restaurants. For our listeners, a lot of people listening in the industry, we met a good buddy, uh, Hunter. He's got a beer bar outside of Detroit, came to visit us recently. We know you're listening, you know, industry people. Absolutely. Let's talk about some nuts and bolts. So, you know, when you, when you first started, you yeah. know, the things you had to learn, you know, was it just cooking? How do you, how do you run a line? Like, how many guys do you optimally have working under you at one time? What's your ideal line? So, set? during the week, during the day, we have, I'll have three cooks, one prep cook, and one dishwasher, and, and that's it. And those guys will knock out 150 to 220 covers. Um, I'll oversee the operation and make sure everything's moving in the right direction. Um, at the airport, it's a little different. We run four on the line and dishwasher. I have a full, full pastry program there as well. So there's about eight to nine cooks going on the whole time at that point. So if, if you hire someone, because yeah. you know, people want to know about careers in the industry. For sure. How do you start? The ideal candidate to start with you, are they going to start as dishwasher? Are they a culinary school grad? Yeah. What are you looking for? You know, I just, I, you know what I'm looking for is a great attitude. I'm looking for somebody that's going to come in there with a positive attitude, show up on time, be able to... Chemistry is one of the most important things in any team building, and 100% kitchens are teams. Chemistry is key. So having the, the chemistry, being able to be pushed... What a cutie pie. Oh, my gosh, your daughter is walking. And one more note. I think the, <laughs> if you guys are out there listening, if you're here on site right now, go over to the Springer, uh, Springer Big Green Egg. Is the auction done yet? Is it still live, Katie? Okay, the auction's finishing up. You can win a, one of the mini Big Green Eggs. Is it finished up now? But thank you again. Big Green Egg, they help sponsor us being here today. They're giving away a mini one. But industry stuff. So your husband joined too. I don't know if there's a mic for him. Uh, Ed, come on, scoot over, buddy. And uh, this is part of the Westbrook team. But we keep yeah. talking about let's do this. is going to be the nuts and bolts show because yeah. we got Portland and we got we got South Carolina. So that's right. You know, also, so I'm starting out as a chef. Yeah. You know, have you started guys a dishwasher that worked the way up to yeah to a head cook or yeah? They'll, you know, if they come in and they really and if they show that they want to learn more, you know, I always tell them whenever I hire them, I have no secrets. I'll teach you everything I need to know, everything you need to know. I'll tell you everything I've done, the mistakes I've made, how I've come along the way, where I'm at, where I'm at, and how long it takes. But you know, it's all about the it's all about the work work ethic and the attitude. If you can come in there and you're ready to work and you want to learn more, I'll give you everything I got. And then, what's something that you, as as a restaurant owner, is 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 automatic firing or raises red flags? We got to talk about the real things. Yeah, for sure. What's something that that, that someone does for you? They raise a red flag, then you know they're not going to fit in. You know, if they don't get along with the guys that, have are, that are already there and that know the programs and then they question the programs, not from a, from a situation where they want to learn about the program, but where they want to change the program, it's something that just doesn't work for us. That's a great. And, and do you feel like, is there a time limit you expect people to, you give them what, six months, a year? Two weeks. Two weeks. So you know in that time. Yeah. And, you're, and your guys will tell you too. Yeah. Yeah, so they're all big... tight. I, I have very little turnover. So anybody that comes in, it's a very chemistry-oriented hire, 
And the guys, the stage, I've done the same stage for the last 20 years. I have you cut a ninth pan of small dice mirepoix. I have you make uh, one cup of mayonnaise, one cup of sherry vinaigrette, cook off one cup of lentils, cook me a burger going medium, cook me one egg going medium, and cook four vegetables with the least amount of manipulation to highlight the farmer that grew it. 90 minutes, go. So that's how you try out people. That's how I try them out. And they work on the line, in the middle of service, on the line with my guys. That's it. I don't think I could could get a job with you, man. (laughs) Yeah, you could. (laughs) You know. You know, man. uh, Now we've got these guys here, so we're we're, we're talking chefs that are at the festival. And to me, you know, the, the first brew I ever had from... South Carolina, Westbrook. So it's Ed, right? Yep. Ed Westbrook. Great to meet First, I'm going to shake your hand because it's the first time I met you. And, you know, as nice I told you. your wife, going back to 12% distributors in New York, I've had your, your, your beers for a year. Some of the highlights three summers ago, the first big New York Times article about Goza, you were guys, you were guys one of the – your Westbrook Goza was, was mentioned in it. And I've had a lot of your beers. I love your, your go-to IPA. We've been drinking the, the – the two claw rye pale ale. So, welcome very to the nice. show for the first time, man. Thank you. So, what you got? You're building a family here. You've got. This is very <laughs> Charleston. You got a, yeah. a younger jo- child and a little baby over yeah. there. Future brewers. Because he, he yeah. walked in with he walked in with a stroller. I'm like, we've already got the kid walking. Why has he got the stroller? Yeah, right. But there is a baby. So, tell us about your family. I know you guys were dating a long time, but it's a part of Charleston culture. I actually have some friends that moved down here for their family life. So, what's it like having a being in the industry here and, and having a family? Uh, well, it's a great place to be, I think, for anybody, but, um, I don't know. It's just, I don't know, it, it is what you make of it. it. Everyone is really cool and very understanding, and, you know, you're, I think you just have to be understanding and carry that with you. Yeah, well, Adam's a good talker. I mean, it seems like there's a vibe. So I, my friend Jackie Berger ran this great organization here called JustFood.org. They did you know, CSAs, community gardens, wow. real, real important, you know, New York City-based, you know, food nonprofit. And she had one kid, and, and they wanted to have a second kid. She moved down here a few years ago. She's living in James Island. Okay. And um, so I, I've just started realizing there's a great family vibe down here because in New York City, there's a lot of pressure on, on families when you have kids working in this industry. Oh, yeah. So maybe you have more examples of that, you know, for our listeners. But you're able to... Do you guys live near the brewery? We do. We live a, um, a wonderful... I think we timed it to like six minutes away from the brewery, and it works out really well because if you have a meeting and you need to get in for nap time at the same time, it works great, and it's just it's perfect. And we're a family-owned brewery, so sometimes the kids come to work with us, or so if you need to run home really fast, it it's nice. <laughs> it is. I live ten minutes from my restaurant. Like my whole world's like within twelve minutes of itself. <laughs> Isn't it the great kids' when it school. Works like that? Oh my god, it has to be. <laughs> yeah. The airport, the restaurants, like everything. You know, it's kind of a constant circle. I don't really see the other side of of Portland very often anymore because I'm always on the east side. So I guess that's just the way life is, right? Oh, like yeah. you kind of like build your nest within the yeah. whole culture. Yeah, that's that you're a in. You know, it's a big that's part of your burrow. Okay, rest, the restaurant. You know, rest, our listeners out there. The rest, I know we know you're out there. We love you guys. Yeah, baby. We're live. It's Charleston Wine and Food Festival, Sunday afternoon, March 5th. Um, you know, the family life is important to keep it going. I, just, I know that's why a lot of people leave New York City. You know, they, they want to open places. Yep. Third third show. I'm getting some beer on me. Perfect. But um, St. Russ, actually, my, my pub in East Village, New York City, Jim, is number 43. Three years ago, we actually moved to the same block. Oh, wow. Just for a family, because my daughter, you know, was during 13, 14. 
She can stop by if she needs to pick up keys. Yep. My wife loves to stop in unannounced, grab grab a glass of wine or something. You know, family life is really important, and it's, it's I think it does enable you to keep being successful. Oh, Don't yeah. you think so, Morgan? I totally agree. Your daily routines are what what make you who you are, and you definitely want your kids to carry that on. So, now, I have some yeah. fr- a friend that was a brewer. I don't want to name him because I miss him. He was a, a great brewer in New York City. He and his wife, they had kids. They moved to Chicago, and, and he's working in a greenhouse now because, again, he wanted a different different lifestyle. But how do you balance that? I mean, with a brewery, you can do, like, more daytime hours, right? It's yes. not like running a club or something. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, Edward does more of the brewing half of things, but... You can make it work, you know. Brewing sometimes you wake up really early to do it, and yeah, yeah. Well, a lot of what Morgan does can be done uh, over email or phone, so she can sort of work from home a lot, which works out well with the kids. Um, and I handle most of the, you know, the actual production stuff. And, and what's your schedule like? With winning home, you know, what hours you're at the brewery? <laughs> and you got to talk. Yeah. Why is that funny? You know, it's just a great team because everyone says, oh, Ed will never talk to you. Morgan's a great talker, but we want to get Ed to talk, too. Um, I usually, I mean, I usually start around uh, 9 o'clock doing uh, emails and stuff in the morning, have have breakfast, hang out with the kids and Morgan for a few minutes, and then go to the brewery around 11.30 or so, and come home about uh, 6.30 or 7. So not too bad. No, yeah. that's manageable. Yeah, that's, that's manageable for sure. And what about for yeah. you, Adam? What's your daily schedule? Oh like? well, now well, I, ever, since my kids were the size of this little pumpkin right here, <laughs> we uh, I've always gotten up in the morning. I get up at six, make my kids breakfast and lunch, pack their lunch for them, get them ready for school. I drive them to school. My wife Jackie goes in because she owns the restaurant with me. She usually goes in before me because I usually stay later than she does. And so I'll drop off the boys. They get there about eight. I get my dog. I go for a run. Come back. Get ready. Get into the restaurants around nine thirty. Service has been open for ninety minutes uh, for thirty minutes, and then I'll hang out probably. You guys do breakfast too. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven wow, days a week. That's challenging. Yeah. yeah, it's a lot. So, get in there right around nine thirty, ten o'clock. Usually stay there through lunch. Then I'll go out to the airport and be at the airport for a few hours. Come back, check in with the night crew, make sure that all the foods taste everything on the line. Go over meetings with my sous chefs and my chefs. And then talk to my front of the house, get with my general managers, have conference calls throughout the afternoon. I usually get home around 7. So for you guys, like, you know, changing up, like I assume maybe is your breakfast more standard? And do you do more specials at night? You know, how do, how yeah, do you, you know, change well, your Well, we do all whole animal butchery, so I've got a lot. <clears throat> Brian Zakarian is my in-house butcher and sous chef. And um, so we move through the whole animal. There's certain cuts that I want him to pull off to give the cooks challenges for. Like he'll pull off the top round or he'll pull off the shoulder clod of the, of the pig and say, okay, this is what it is. You've got two days to think about it. We need to run a special on Friday. Figure it out. So you guys are always learning. Constantly. And that's the thing. I constantly push those guys to make sure that they're thinking about not just getting up there and getting their line set. They need to think about how. Guys, if you're just joining us, so this <laughs> is Adam. I, he first started in the, in the 1990s in Portland, Oregon at Wildwood. Great chef. He's got Country Cat in Portland, Oregon. So yeah. big shout out to go Adam, Country guys. Cat, baby. If you want go. some beer over yeah. here, we got uh, the kids from Westbrook. There's, there's the, the, the Rye Pale Ale and the Goza. If anybody wants beer, we have some. But yeah. awesome. So you guys, I, I know you guys, again, li- talking to our listeners from Sweden to Michigan, they're listening now and they will be. Now, you guys, to me, uh, my first impression of South Carolina beer, you know, Everyone talks about Mexican cake. You know, for our beer fans, just tell us how you came up with Mexican cake. 
Mexican uh, cake? What is it? It's, it's their famous it's beer, beer they make. It's, uh, really? Yep. I have some if you want to try it. Yeah. It's, uh, it's an imperial stout that we do with uh, chocolate, cinnamon, vanilla, and habanero peppers. So uh-huh. the inspiration was, uh, was a mole sauce to make a mole stout. And uh, I originally brewed it uh, when I was homebrewing. When, when we were homebrewing. And uh, we, we uh, bottled it up and gave away the bottles as uh, party favors at our wedding. Um, and then... And we knew it was good when everyone came back and they were like, that beer was awesome! Yeah. <laughs> I found it and I loved it. You know, th- when did you start uh, having Yepi come down from Evil Twin? Uh, that would have been probably uh, fall of 2011. We first hooked up with him. And then did, did you guys, you must influence each other because he's got his stronger beers and the biscotti beers and your Mexican cake. I mean, t- I mean tell me, you must influence each other, right? So... Yeah. What's that? Say it again. You must have influenced each other. Yeah, um, he's a, he's an interesting guy. He has a lot of cool ideas, uh, weird ideas that uh, I wouldn't really think of. For instance, he we did a beer together called Imperial Donut Break, uh, which is an imperial stout with donuts added to but it. But you actually put donuts in. Donuts from places down the street, and they are so good. And I'm not poor Yepa. He ordered I, how many thousands of donuts? It's a couple thousand donuts per batch. And I, I mean... I, Whoa, really? I had to sample them, and they were delicious. <laughs> and it's, it's biscotti beer, so you to put biscottis in? Uh, that is almonds and coffee. Yeah. And vanilla. But for you with your Mexican cake, did you, you didn't put cake in. <laughs> no. That no. could be a new version, though. Because you were in the Edmunds <laughs> Osat. One of the Edmunds right. Ost beers is the, uh, the Kvass. We'll taste that afterwards. And they said they made it with, with uh, some rye bread, but... I don't yeah, know if it's kind of quiet here now, but... It's booming outside, and we're having fun. Come on in, guys. Hang out. Everybody's chilling out. But I'm, I'm happy to have... So the, the, the Goza. Um, you guys want to taste the Goza, too? I don't, I don't know if you haven't had it yet, Adam. Um, I don't think so. We'll pass it around. So yeah. tell us how you came up with that, because I remember it said, it was a few years ago, our New York Times writer, who's also here at the, the Charleston Wine and Food Festival, Eric Asimov, Thanks. you know, every summer he was writing a beer article. A few years ago, it was just about summer, summer beers. He picked a simple sour... From Pizco, which is like a, a Berliner Weiss. And the next year, we had, we had emailed him and said, you know, Eric, why don't you do Goza next year? And he actually did it. So, of course, in the photo shoot and tasting, you know, he picked Westbrook as, you know, the American Goza that's available and that's really good. And I will say at my pub, Jimmy's number 43, we always have Westbrook Goza in cans. But tell us, you were kind of ahead of the curve. You know, now everyone's doing it. Sierra Nevada, Anderson Valley. What made you first want to make a, a Goza? With listeners, just so you know, even in Garrett Oliver's Oxford Encyclopedia of Beer, it was the one style, and he's still sore about it, that he didn't list because for a generation or two, it wasn't even made anymore. So how did you discover Goza, wow. and why did you start making that? To me, it's your signature beer now. That's delicious. Thank you. Yeah, that's I'm, really good. Thank you. Yeah. My A couple years ago, um, when we told my Oma that we were going to be starting a brewery, she said, oh, are you making a, a goza? Oma. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hello, Oma. <laughs> Oma. <laughs> um, she asked us if we were going to make a goza, and we said, what is that? And she looked at us and goes, what kind of brewers are you? And walked away. <laughs> and so after a couple years, you know, Edward and I looked at each other and we said, we think it's time. Let's try and make a goza. And we kind of messed around with it a little bit at home. And then Edward 
put it all together and just it's incredible. Yeah, the first the first batch was a small batch that we released in uh, in 22 ounce bottles, so big single serve bottle, and uh, it was received pretty well. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple months later, we for some reason got the idea that we should brew it on a larger scale and put it in six pack cans. And we started doing that in, I think it was July of 2013. And, uh, yeah, people went crazy for it. So buy stock in Tums. <laughs> Tums. It's delicious. It's so refreshing. Thank you. Yeah, well, you it's know, really, so really good. Have you had Gozes before? No, man, I've never I had mean, one. You know, you know the style. I mean, you're into beer history, right? Yeah, oh, a little about bit. Life's a good Goza. Tell us, you want to tell us some of the backstory? Uh, well, the... Supposedly, the origins of the Goza style were that it was brewed in a, a certain part of Germany where the water had a natural salinity to it. Uh, and so when they brewed the sour wheat beer, which in other places were called uh, Berliner Weiss, they had more of a regional take. It came out as more of a different regional style, uh, and it was called the Goza. So it's basically just a sour wheat beer uh, with a little salt, and some of them have coriander in it also. You know, there's another American... For, for a few years, I had, um, have you had Off Color from Chicago area? Yep. The yeah. Troublesome. And their yep. take was more, it was, it was a wheat, kind of a, a wheat goza, not as sour as this. Right. So most, before we started making ours, uh, most of the German gozas that you could find were not really sour at all. And in reading about this style, it sounded to me like, the real Goza that was brewed, you know, a couple hundred years ago back in the day was pretty sour. So I... Oh, my, is that 103 and said it was So sour. I basically tried to recreate <laughs> recreate the beer as it would have, you know, as it would have tasted back then, not copy the German examples from today. And the result is a beer that's a lot more sour than what the Gozas were at the time. I love it. You know, I drink it. I love this family... It's family style, Charleston. I love this. It's family you got the time. Westbrook family, and uh, it's funny when you brought in the stroller. I was like, "Why are you bringing a stroller when the, when the kids are already walking?" But I didn't know you had the other kids. So, yeah. But uh, she was good for a while. It's nice, man. Yeah, it, she did well. <laughs> and the reason I said it too is like again, it's about these family values because it is hard in New York City and trying to play up, you know, some of the things that happen in, in Charleston. And it seems like a nice place to have a family and be part of the industry. Absolutely. Yeah. My yeah. kids Great. grew up in our restaurants. You know, and they, I think it made, them, it made them better kids because they totally knew how to talk to adults. Right. You know, so many kids out there don't know how to talk to adults. So your kids are older now, though, right? Yeah, 11 and so 14. So did you start, you know, doing more traveling and, you know, the airport after your kids were growing up? Yeah, I started, I started traveling more when I turned 40, and that was five years ago. So the restaurant had been open five years. So it was, they, were in, you know, they were in a little bit easier place. It was a little easier for mom to be able to watch them while I was gone doing trips. And... um I travel quite a bit. Yeah. And guys, you know, for you, I mean, you, Ed, you guys are based here in the Charleston area, and, and you're here for the first time. Yeah. You know, what are some things of the Charleston Wine and Food Festival that stand out for you that you would say, oh, man, you've you got to come visit and, and check out this event or tasting? You know, the, it's, it's a really organized. It's got great energy. Everybody that's participating is having a ton of fun, and everybody that's here to enjoy all the participation is having a blast. So, you know, it's, it's, the after parties are stellar. You know, it's just been Did you go to one awesome. last night? 
more than one. Tell us <laughs> which ones you two go to. Two to three. I think did you go to Butcher uh, we did what We did What the Fuh last night, which was awesome. The Fuh Asian yeah, movie party. Yeah, that was super yep. rad. And then uh, we went, I don't even, dude, I don't even know where I ended up, actually. So, all I know is I got home. Well, and I'm going to tell you, you're like me, buddy. Yeah, right. <laughs> we go way back. Yeah, dude. Back to the 90s and Straight up. cooking with fire. And then, Ed, for you guys here, you know, um, I was downtown last night at Prohibition Bar. Yeah. And yeah. the one handle I saw that I liked, it said Westbrook. There you And it right. was a white tie. Um, are there a lot of places in this area that are selling your beer? Are yeah. You, are, you, are you selling more beer in Charleston area or more out of state? Um, I would say that at least uh, 50% of our sales volume is in South Carolina. We're, and we're, nice. only, we're only in six states. Nice. So, yeah, Do South you travel Carolina, at all out, out of the state or are you just here brewing? Um, not as much as we used to. Um, we're thinking about doing some more states pretty soon, so there'll be some more traveling there. But um, other than that, the traveling that we do is for a couple uh, beer festivals. We do uh, one in Copenhagen in May, and then one in awesome. uh, Stavanger, Norway, in October. And uh, that's going awesome. down to uh, yeah. Tampa that's uh, really this awesome. weekend. You guys have been awesome. I know we, we, this is our third hour. We're doing live radio at the Charleston Wine and Food Festival. You guys, uh, quick wrap up. Just say one more thing you want to say about what you guys are doing next or what's going on. Start with you, Ed. What's happening at Westbrook? New beer coming out? Um, yeah, we've got a couple of things in the works that uh, it's not determined what they'll be called or what form they're going to take when they come out. But uh, definitely the next big thing that's coming up is uh, a variant of the Goza. It's called the Key Lime Pie Goza, and it's brewed with uh, lime, vanilla, and cinnamon. So it's sort of like a sour Key Lime Pie in a can. That's great. Thanks for coming on the show. Nice. Man. Thank you. And Adam, nice. what's going on with you next? Let's going see. To the uh, festival? Yeah, so where am I? Okay, going to Hot Luck in May down in Austin, Texas. The Country Cat turns 10 years old in April. I'll Wait, be, here's my question. Yeah. What's the next whole animal you're getting in, and what's the farm it's from? Next whole animal is going to be a whole side of beef from Creekstone Farms in, uh, in the Midwest. All right, man. Yeah. Well, guys, everyone, thanks for joining us again. This is Harry's Rear Network. Thanks to Katie, Kat, and, and David. Thanks to uh, Springer Chicken and, and Big Green Egg for bringing us down. This, we're doing three hours. I think we're going to stick around and do some trivia, too. We've got some prizes. Breville, you know, everything. But um, I'm losing my voice. This is awesome. So, guys, everybody, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks Radio. We'll catch you next Absolutely. time. All right. Woo! Stick around. Okay. Bring it on. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.